sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 279 Yes, it has been a while since I released an episode. Apologies for that. Lots of travel. Also came back with a pretty bad cold. And yeah, that's kind of a problem for a a podcaster. But I'm better. And now that the fall season of college golf has come to an end, you should be seeing quite a few more episodes coming your way in the winter months. I still have a little bit of travel before the end of the year. Actually, today I'm on my way to Dallas, Texas, back to the East-West matches at Merido Golf Club. The best amateurs in the country, 10 mid-ams, 6 senior ams, and a couple college kids on each side, with the Mississippi River being the dividing line. Lots of great players, many have already been guests on the back of the range, and I would imagine that number will grow once the matches are completed. Nathaniel Crosby will lead the East, Kevin Marsh will lead the West. Really excited to get back to Merido, so make sure you are following East-West matches on Instagram, and I'm sure I will have plenty of time to catch up with the guys there, so follow along for scoring, interviews, pictures. It's going to be a good time. There is still plenty of merch available over at thebackoftherange.com, so make sure you check that out as well. My guest on this episode is Lee McCoy. Lee had an incredible collegiate career at the University of Georgia, two-time first-team All-American, seven wins as a Bulldog, selected to the U.S. Palmer Cup and U.S. Walker Cup team in 2015. Yeah, he pretty much did it all as an amateur. Unfortunately, some bad luck and uh, a serious wrist injury would eventually derail his professional career, so now he is back in Athens, serving as an assistant coach alongside his former college coaches, Chris Hack and Jim Douglas. He's helping to guide the Bulldogs as they prepare to make a run at an SEC championship next spring. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. He won one of those too. Fun conversation with Sherm, I I mean Lee. Let's uh, let's jump right into it. Lee, welcome to the back of the range. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I um, you know, you know, it's before we get into your playing career. You know, I let's get this out of the way. Your nickname is Sherm, and I feel bad about this <laughs> because uh, is it possible that just the the age of college players these days they may not get the reference? Is that beca- is that becoming more of an issue now? Oh, it's it's a definite issue. None of the kids on this team at Georgia have any idea that's who kinda, Germinator is. That's kind of that's kind of good though, right? I mean, are you kind of feel like the nickname is sunsetting, or are you sad? To oh, say I no? gave I gave up running from that nickname years ago. If I end up being Sherm all the way through a college coaching career, then then that's just the way it is. Better okay. to be known, better to be known by Sherm than not known at all. Okay, so for people listening that have no idea what we're talking about, uh, kind of an iconic, I guess, teen movie in the '90s or maybe 2000s shit um american pie go look up shermanator american pie go google it and that's who i'm talking no it's not the exact person i'm talking to i'm talking to <laughs> lee mccoy but seriously um yeah that had to have been a whole lot. who gave you that nickname actually so that's i think it was a combination of joey garber and tj mitchell okay um, it, it kind of happened 
I don't know, maybe uh, we have a team retreat at, at the beginning of the year, every year. Um, and I think our first round, so we're maybe three or four days into, into the school year, um, playing up a mountaintop in North Carolina and making the turn and somebody hit me with it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't make it. I don't think a full week into college before becoming the Shermanator. Oh and it, it stuck instantly. I knew I wasn't going to get away from it. So I just tried to embrace it and still am. I don't remember that the Shermanator in those movies drove a motorcycle on campus though. I don't, recall, <laughs> I don't remember that. How did that you drove a motorcycle on campus. I don't think I've ever spoken to a college golfer driving a motorcycle. How did that happen? I just, I grew up with a, with a dad that loves cars and rode dirt bikes when he was younger. And, and I've been kind of bit by that bug. I'm still a huge car guy. You know, I'm, I'm on YouTube all the time, checking out what's coming out and, you know, planning on (laughs) spending money that I don't have on whatever car makes sense. Uh, you know, I don't ride bikes anymore. Um, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't say that I don't miss it. I do love being on two wheels, but, um, you know, I, I bought a CBR 600 when I was in college with my own money that I saved up for, I think I paid 2,500 bucks for it. Oh gosh. Um, uh, and, and wrote it for about a year, year and a half and sold it for 3,500 bucks. Um, and I, I, I mean, I really love that bike. I kind of wish I still had it honestly. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I just, saw it as a really easy way to to get around campus and that's all i needed was an excuse to have a bike of you know to make my life easier to make my so, life so, easier so the bag's on the back and you're just riding from from the apartment to practice facility yeah golf, golf clubs just stay out at the course and i was just cruising around with a with a backpack on i mean the tough days were when it was you know 45 degrees and sure. kind of misting and going to you know nine o'clock class that was that was when it was less than ideal, but, um, you know, people that are listening that, that are into cars and bikes will totally understand that it's, it's a, you know, it's a bug that's, that's hard to itch completely. It's once you get it, it kind of sticks with you. Yeah. It's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, toy to have, I guess, so to speak. Uh, and, and you think about all the, you know, great memories. And then obviously when the weather is terrible, it's like the least practical thing ever. Yeah, practicality is, is not yeah. high on the list of why you should buy a motorcycle. No. You really have to you really have to want to ride one so badly that you can't hardly stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, for it to make any kind of sense, I I'm never going to convince anybody that it's safe or that it's smart or any of that stuff. Uh, maybe it's good on on fuel economy. That's that's, that's about that's about it. But now I've got a a year and a half old daughter and. Uh, and a wife at home and, and no more bikes for me. That it's makes, just, oh, that's, that's, gosh, it, it, this is terrible. It, it sounds like you're actually growing up and becoming an adult. How, that's, I know, I, I kind of hate it, but, um, you know, these, these real sensible thoughts keep finding their way in, into my mind. And, my God, um, where's you know, this, this episode taking me? Where, where are we I going know. with this? I know. Don't pretend you're not a little proud of me. Okay. It's, it's, uh, well, we'll see how we get through the rest of this episode. <laughs> we'll see if that's, if that sustains. <laughs> Um, we have tons to get to. I mean, all American at Georgia, Walker Cupper, Palmer Cupper, and now you're kind of going down a, a, your the role has, has been reversed, so to speak. You're going down the road of, uh, of of doing some coaching now in college. But as we like to do here at the back of the range, we have to start at the beginning. Uh, are you're you're the 
you're the pride of Dunedin, Florida. I looked this up. You're <laughs> you're born in Florida. You're a Floridian just like me. I mean, I know all this. You know, I, I know we're going to talk a whole hell of a lot about Georgia, but you grew up in in Dunedin, which all I really know about about Dunedin, Florida, is a spring training home with the Blue Jays. So I'm, I'm assuming you're a massive Blue Jays fan. You would assume incorrectly, I even figured, though, <laughs> even, even though, fan. like, I mean, I I grew up not a half a mile from the Blue Jays training facility. Yes, yeah. it was where I grew up, so I had to pass it, you know, every day on my way to school as a as a little kid. And the baseball bug just never really bit me. I mean, I'm sorry to all the baseball fans out there, but I generally only watch baseball if I'm trying to go to sleep. Oh, um, okay. Well, I, I know. This I, isn't, I this know. isn't a baseball podcast, thankfully, so that's not, okay. But this is uh, this is something that that I you know butt heads with some of the guys on the team about that just are all in on it. And I just I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to care about something that I that I don't care about. I guess. Well, I mean, obviously, you're you grew up there, and um, but but Georgia became a, a pretty you know, strong influence and fixture in your life pretty quickly. And and you got into golf, I'm guessing, pretty early. How how did you start getting into golf? I'm guessing it's your dad? Kind of a weird story. And I don't even know if I really believe it, to be honest with you, but this is what this is what my parents will tell you. Um that, you know, I started kind of watching golf on TV at around eighteen months old. Um and when they would change the channel, I would just lose my mind. Um, so they ended up buying me some little plastic clubs, you know, before I was two and I was out in the front yard hitting back and forth across the street. Um, my dad kind of plays, he's been a volunteer at the masters for the last 12 or so years. But, uh, I mean, I think his career best is like an 85. Okay. Really? He's not really much of a golfer. Um, even though he does enjoy it, I think he plays, you know, as much as he does being, you know, three or four times a year only because I played, um, you know, I didn't, I've never heard any stories of him playing golf before I played. They just kind of saw that I had an interest for it at a young age and, and, you know, facilitated it. And obviously I'm extremely grateful for them doing so. So I still love it. Well, if he didn't really get into golf, I know that, you know, you, spent a lot of summers at the University of Georgia golf camp, which is kind of a, you know, a lot of college coaches have these where it's a great way to raise awareness for the program. And it's also kind of a reverse recruiting tool, you know, instead of the coach traveling all over the country during the summer for, for one week out of the summer, the coach can stay put and just all the kids come to the coach, which is, uh, you know, that saves on travel. When, when did you first, attend uh uga golf camp and then eventually obviously meet uh, meet coach hack yeah i think i was coming starting at i want to say around seven. Oh my god uh, yeah so i mean we were me and me and my dad were i guess mainly my dad was probably looking at it from a from a recruiting standpoint um you know he went to georgia and, and was here uh, the years that herschel was here i think 79 to 82 or something like that um, so I grew up a bulldog fan from, from birth, essentially. Um, it's all I've ever known. Um, and my dad actually grew up in Athens as well. Um, I even ended up living in the house that he grew up in when I was, um, when I was going to school here. Grandparents are up there too. Yeah. They've, so my grandparents passed away on my dad's side, you know, probably a little over 10 years ago. 
Um, and when they passed away, the house was left to my dad and, and all of a sudden, and like, and right around the same time I needed a place to stay on campus. So, um, oh, that's you cool. know, every, and when they were alive, I stayed at their house while I was going to golf camp and I still have, you know, more family around, around Athens. So, um, I'm always going to be tied to Athens no matter where I go. That's for sure. So your dad brings you up to go- cut to golf camp at UGA at like seven. Oh uh, yeah. I'm just, so that's, that's what, like 10 years. I mean, every summer I'm guessing you're there just about. Yeah. I'd say I stopped going when I was probably 13 or 14. I came a bunch of years in a row. My dad had to, <laughs> my dad had to have just seen it as a total recruiting opportunity and God bless him. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he was, he nailed it. I got to, you know, I got to know Hacker and Doug um, and even pain when he was here for a while, um, you know, I got to know them over the course of several years. So there wasn't any, there was never any awkwardness or anything like that coming to see these guys. And, and I ended up committing my sophomore year of college, but it's, I have a hard time thinking that that long relationship didn't have anything to do yeah, with that. I'm they they always, yeah. they always knew that I wanted to that I wanted to come here and wanted to be a bulldog and, and do everything I could for him. And that's, you know, I think that's a big part of, of the recruiting process too, is, you know, the kids gotta, gotta want to go there. Um, and I, I didn't want to be anywhere else. So Georgia was the first offer I got and I did not hesitate for a moment. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Your dad's thinking, all right, well, if he just spends enough time there and they're just getting used <laughs> to seeing him, then maybe they're just gonna be like, well, I guess, yeah, he's got to, He's got to come here now. Now, also, this is a big school, and this is a very historic program. They're not just giving you just a, uh, you know, a, a charity look, so to speak. I mean, you had to earn your way to to get on their radar. Um, kind of, what was your junior golf experience like? As far as were you playing a lot of tournaments? I mean, it sounds to me this is pretty much all you did. Yes, it's pretty much all I did. But like you know, you'd think committing to Georgia as a sophomore makes it sound like I was some world beater in, in the junior golf scene. And I, I really wasn't looking back. Um, you know, I didn't really find myself or whatever you want to call it until maybe kind of the second half of my sophomore year of college. Um, I was never like top 10 in the, in the polo rankings or anything like that. I, I, uh, I got into the invitationals, I think for, for two years. Um, but like when I, when I committed here, I still wasn't even getting into the AJGA invitationals. I was just, you know, playing where I could and putting up halfway respectable scores and, and, you know, trying to move up. So I was honestly a little bit, a little bit surprised when I did, uh, get that offer when I was 16. But, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess Hacker and Doug saw something and, and, and thought that I would keep pushing and, um, I'm glad they were right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing you did not have a safety school. That this is pretty much it for you. That was that was it. You know, once I started getting into the invitationals, my last couple of years of high school, I did. You know, I got some. I had a couple other coaches reach out from some other schools, and I, I definitely had other options. But they were, you know, I I wouldn't give anything a second thought if those guys were willing to commit to me as a sophomore, I was going to do everything I can to, to, you know, prove that they made a good decision. So I, I think honestly committing here 
spurred me on like it really lit a fire under me knowing that okay i'm i'm about to go play for georgia when i get there i better right. have i better have everything that i can possibly have uh, you know it was it was kind of a call to go to work for me um so two-time all-american at georgia i think you're one of only three players in history to be a first team all-american twice um you know seven wins one shy of the record so, I mean, you had one of the most historic careers in the history of this program. And the way you're talking, it sounds to me that in your sophomore year of high school, you're thinking, um, I got to get my butt in gear or else I'm just going to be like the number eight man that is just a- an afterthought. And, you know, I have, I mean, gosh, my dad went here. I have family here. I mean, this is, it's all lining up. The only thing I got to do now is figure out how to, you know, really shine and crack the lineup. Do you remember kind of what you did to get yourself to the point where you could enjoy this type of career that you, uh, you know, that you, you know, put up? You know, I like, like you said, it was all just kind of lining up and I knew that kind of all my eggs were essentially starting to fall into this one basket. Um, and I just, I guess kind of around, you know, right after that commitment, not long after junior, senior year of high school, I just became, completely and utterly obsessed um i i really did and and it stuck with me through you know my first two or three years in school where i knew that there was still a, a good amount of ground that needed to be made up i knew there was a lot of work that still needed to be done i i was still playing with better with players that were significantly better than i was and i could tell and um you know i wasn't i think i made the right move in my mind of going, you know, not trying to shoot for somebody that could not trying to be somebody that could qualify, but, but trying to be somebody that could, could really make a difference and, you know, possibly even lead the team. Um, I was just focused solely on being as good as I could possibly be. Um, I just, I felt like it was almost my, my debt to, to hacker and dog and my debt to my parents of like, you know, you guys have done all this stuff for me. All these opportunities are lining up perfectly. If I don't go do my part and, and, you know, not leave any stone unturned that I'm just, that's almost an insult. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I just gave it everything. I really, everything I had my last couple of years of high school and man, my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year being here, I was, just so laser focused, I, you know, and obsessive, you know, to the point of just being out here, you know, at 12, one o'clock in the morning, hitting balls into the dark video on my swing, trying to figure out what to do, you know, bleeding hands, that sort of stuff. Um, I don't even know. It, it may have even become an unhealthy obsession at, at some point, sure. but um, it was, it was all I could really think about uh, was just trying to get better. Um, but seeing progress, you know, through each of those years and, and moving up and getting better and getting into those invitationals and then getting into the lineup my freshman year, like seeing the progress and, um, you know, seeing myself advancing just kind of fueled the fire. I was like, and just, I just wanted to see how far I could really push it. When you were a camper, um, you know, at the UGA golf camp, your relationship i'm guessing at least early on obviously they're trying to make sure you're having fun i mean you're not on the team you're just a camper but then once you join the team did the relationship change at all between you and and coach hack and coach douglas or 
I guess when did things turn to the point of okay, you're here now, Lee? I mean, it's it's now it's time to go to work, and uh, you know, how did the kind of the relationship change at all? I don't really think it changed too much, honestly. Like okay. you know, I I kind of just became friends. I felt like I was friends with both of them. I mean, they're both such great guys, and uh, you know, I love them both to death. Um, but I think they knew that I was so dedicated and so focused when I came in, like they didn't really have to, to tell me a whole lot. Um, and I think this was a great fit for me as a school. And the fact that, you know, they don't really get in, in your way of trying to, you know, if you have a way that you like to practice and you have a swing coach that you like to see, and you have a certain way that you like to do things and you're adamant about it, you know, Hacker and Doug aren't going to stop you. They're going to let you develop into the player that, that, you know, that you want to be the way you want to do it. Um, if I would have gone to another school that, you know, has a reputation for say changing players swings and, you know, making them practice certain ways and stuff that, that might not have been the best thing for me. Sure. Um, just because I, I wasn't short on, you know, fire in my belly, so to speak. And, and, um, I wasn't gonna, you know, skip a bunch of days and, and do the bare minimum and just try to qualify. I was always focused on, on trying to be as good as I could possibly be. So they just kind of, you know, stepped back and did whatever they could do for me whenever, whenever I asked for help. Um, and most of the stuff that I talked to them about was, was just mental on course stuff and, and, uh, you know, trying to manage my mind more than, more than my golf game really. Well, you mentioned firing your belly and mentioning the, or mentioning that, and also, you know, talking about managing the mental approach. You know, I have, have a bunch of uh, sources of, in, of, you know, I have a bunch of sources all throughout the, the city of Athens that have told me some, some stories about an alleged temper that you may or may not have had on the golf course. I mean, these are, I can't reveal my sources, Lee. I hope you can understand and respect that. Um, but I mean, is there any truth to that? And if so, like, you know, where, where are the broken wedges buried? Can you even, <laughs> I mean, no, I wouldn't expect you to reveal your sources. I don't think it was that well kept of a secret when I was in oh, college. Okay. And, and that's, <laughs> that's why, you know, we were talking about earlier and almost getting to an unhealthy point of, of obsession. You know, you put in that much work, um, and you practice that hard and you come to expect so much of yourself. And that was, that was my main battle in college was dealing with, you know, my own expectations that I set for myself. You know, I set them really high thinking that, you know, generally when you set a goal, you're going to get there, you're going to come close. And if your goal is to make the lineup, you may end up being the five guy or not make it at all. Um, so I was, I had that kind of all in, you know, win or nothing type of mindset. Um, and when things went wrong, I had a hard time dealing with it. Um, I, re I really did. There are, <laughs> there were many clubs broken. There were many <laughs> clubs thrown and, um, I, I wish I could take them back. I, I really do. Um, I but mean, I mean, I, think of all the, the junior golfers in, in Athens that would just love to have one of the wedges or putters that you just ferociously snapped over. Your, I mean, think of the kids, Lee, think of the kids. I know. I know. I've been called out on that kind of thing before, <laughs> but <laughs> we won't go there. Um, no, I think one of the wedges I'm trying to think where they're buried. Uh, one pops some, one pops to mind immediately playing, uh, southern highlands the vegas tournament 
um, that last hole is, is brutal. Yeah. I know you've been out there a yeah. bunch of times, I'm sure. Um, I was finishing on nine silly par five. Well, they're both silly par fives finish either side in my mind, but, um, you know, the one with the huge hill behind the green, yep. I think I was like fifth or sixth coming into the last hole. I wasn't going to win, but I was still looking, looking at a top 10, which, you know, I was somewhat satisfied with, I think this was maybe my sophomore year or something like that. So the top 10 was, was still really solid um, for me. I wasn't going to be upset about not winning. Um, so I hit it over the green in two and uh, into some thick rough on a down slope and tried to hit kind of a cute little flop shot and whiffed it completely in a college tournament. It's my first whiff in a tournament since I, that I could remember it at the time. Those are fun. Those, those are those are fun, especially with a big crowd of people around and you know, you're the last guy in on the team and your whole team's watching sort of thing um i think i flubbed the next one onto the fringe ended up making seven or eight and uh and dropped out of the top 10 and and was just i mean steaming as you can imagine sure you know i can feel steam pouring out of my ears went up you know signed my scorecard shook hands with everybody tried to compose myself and then i grabbed that 60 out of my out of my bag walked out on way out onto the i guess it was like the second tee or something. I must've walked three or 400 yards just to get to a point where no, I knew nobody could see me and snap that thing over my knee and threw it in the trash can and walk back to the clubhouse. <laughs> like, it was one of the instances in which I, I remember getting away from everybody and doing it in private, but that 60 was not coming home with me. Yeah. That actually mm-hmm. sounds like a very responsible club break. That's, that's yeah. a lot better than what, than, than, you know, most people think, um, yeah, I mean, we're used to seeing people do it on TV now, and it goes viral. And that sounds like a very uh, reserved and controlled uh, outbreak you had there. Oh, I, and there were there were much. Uh, there's a lot of them that weren't as reserved or well thought out. I, I can tell you that that was one of my uh, more respectable ones. I think um, I think the one that I beat myself up over most. And this is almost a hard one to share because I I just. I still feel horrible about it, even though like nobody got hurt or anything, you know, sure. it's not like it had any lasting implications. It just made me feel like a terrible person. Um, had a sponsor exemption at the Shriners. So now we're, now we're out there. Oh, we're still in Vegas now. Yeah. We haven't left yet. Oh yeah. We're with something about Vegas, I guess. Okay. Um, got that 18th hole out there, dog leg left. And I'm one inside the cut line um, on Friday afternoon. Just, just need a par. You know, bogey should get me through, but I, I, you know, par's par's all I need. Um, been driving it great all week, and of course, you know, trying to make my first. Well, had I already made it? Yeah, I think I'd already made a cut, but been driving it well all week, and and uh, and and snap hook one into the into the gunch on the left, and I know as soon as I touch the ball that that I'm looking at six pretty much immediately, um, and I had one of those just instinctual just club not not really a throw was more of a spike you know when you kind of just spike the driver down in front of you but it's like a slam but you let go of it and i saw my driver bounce into the air and land about two or three feet into the gallery so i almost i almost hit somebody with my driver out there and I, I, I still feel terrible about it. Like that is just, you just can't do that. And, 
you know, it's, it's something that's really important in golf and something that I'm glad that I'm able to help the younger kids with. And I, and I definitely have more experience I'd say than, than most in battling those demons. Um, but you know, I also have a lot of, a lot of advice on how to get through it and how to better yourself and not, you know, put yourself in that kind of a situation. Um, but you know, I, I definitely had a temper and it, it got the best of me a time or two. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to say I got it under control, um, over the last, you know, couple of years in my playing career. And I really did. I had guys come up to me all the time going, man, he played terrible today. I expected much worse. Like, you know, giving me, <laughs> giving me a hard time. Like, why, why aren't you getting mad? And, um, you know, I think having a kid was a big part of it. Um, you know, just kind of putting, putting life into perspective, um, and just growing up and, and realizing that, you know, not a single golf shot's going to change your life and, and not, not a single round either. Um, is what I kind of try to preach to these guys, you know, on the team that do struggle with it. Um, you know, you, you can't, you can't look at golf shots as, as life changing. They're, they're just not, they're just golf shots. I've, I've played, um, God knows how many tournaments over the last, you know, 20, 22 years or, or whatever. And I, I never had a day that, changed my life i never had a round that changed my life never had a tournament that that really changed my life um so just putting that kind of stuff into perspective and and knowing that life is bigger than than you know hitting it left like, yeah you know i mean you at the end of the day you tried it's not like you didn't you didn't try to hit it where you wanted you know well and the other it's thing a, too that i've kind of like i've seen this a lot just me being out at tournaments and, and i guess i'll let you speak to 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 how you're communicating this to the guys in the team at Georgia right now. Yes. Okay. If you hit it in the water, that is a very definitive result to a shot. That's a bad shot. It's in the water. It's, it's in a hazard, but I've also seen a lot of players where, okay, the wedge shot is 15 feet left when they're trying to hit it right at the target, or uh, you're on the left side of the fairway, or yes, you're even in the rough on a par five, which ultimately okay, maybe you're not set up to go for the green in two. You have to lay up to a comfortable yardage. But there's so many things where I see players just, I wouldn't say lose it and snap clubs, but their immediate reaction is disappointment. How are how have you kind of communicated that to players to say, look, you're you're getting upset when you're you're expunging all this energy on what just happened and you're failing to put yourself in the best position for the next shot? Like, how do you communicate that with players? Yeah, I, I just I mainly try to get them to use it as as motivation. Like, look, if you're if you're seeing trends where, you know, you're not hitting your wedges closer, you know, you're you're bogeying all the par threes pretty much or, you know, what whatever the case may be. These are just signs that, you know, that you need to get better at some stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, all you can do is put the work in, go to the golf course and see what you get you know, that's, it's, it's not a whole lot more complicated than that. Right. Um, you know, guys are either, every, everybody tries, right. It's not like you're going out there just half ass and just hitting it and seeing where it ends up. No, I mean, of course you care. I know you care. Everybody around here knows you care. 
Um, and I think that's one of the big traps that people fall into as well as, is reacting, you know, to show the people around and the people that are watching that you expect more from yourself, right? Like, you know, if you're out playing golf by yourself and you hit a, you know, wedge from 110 yards to to 20 feet, you're not going to throw your club. You're not going to get mad, you know, but if, if you're, you know, in a pressure situation with a bunch of people behind the green and you hit a, you know, you hit a wedge to, to 35, 40 feet, you know, you feel like you have to show that disappointment in order for those people to think that, okay, he, he, he's better than that because he's showing me that he's not happy. Um, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic to, to, to think about. Uh, and one that kind of hit me in the face when, when somebody told me, it's like, look, do you, do you get mad when you're by yourself? I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm practicing when I'm by myself. You know, you miss some shots. I'm like, so you're, you're just getting mad to show other people that you think you're better than that. Right. Like, like how pointless is that? Or to, or to convince people that you care, which is kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, just the simple fact that you're out there competing and laying yourself wide open on, on big stages, that's enough to get that point across. Yeah. No, it's, golf, is a, golf is a very unique challenge mentally. It, it really is. Um, and it's something that I've, you know, since I've stopped playing and been focusing more on coaching has kind of allowed me to go back in my head and in my memory and, and think about what I've done wrong and, uh, what I've done right. And, and, you know, I, I think some of the things that I've done right would be practice really hard and get as good as I could be. And, and the, the bad part that kind of tore me down sometimes would be putting too much pressure on myself. So I think, you know, finding that level of, of not having huge expectations when you go out on the golf course is, is key. You know, I got myself to the point where I knew I had outworked everybody, at least on my team. So my expectations were high Yeah. Um, when I went to a tournament and I, you know, looking back, I think my best tournaments were the ones that I went in to with little or no expectations. And I just, yeah. you know, kind of let the, let the practice do its thing. You know, you're just, I kind of try to look at it from a perspective of, okay, you, you put in the work that you need to at home and you take that with you. And, and when you get on the golf course, that practice that you've put in, that's, that's, what's playing. It's not, it's not necessarily you, you know, you, you get what you get out, what you put in, obviously heard a million times, but you know, it's, it's, it's especially true in golf and the fact that you can't beat yourself up too much for not, you know, pulling something off in a pressure moment because the game is so hard. It's not like we're out there shooting free throws. You know, it's it's a complicated sport, um, and it's not easy to hit a four iron close from two twenty five. And you're not going to do it every time. Yeah, but you can work on it at home, and you can get better. And just getting in the mindset of of letting that practice go to work for you, and and kind of just letting your game. Uh, letting your game evolve on its own rather than trying to force every single shot out there is, is a much healthier way to do it. Yeah. I think. Well, one of the best years of your amateur career, um, 2015, you know, this is, you know, great season at Georgia, um, you know, SECs. And then also, you know, you make the Palmer cup team 
and you uh, get selected to the Walker Cup team. And this is back in 2015. It was over at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's you know, over in England. And, uh, you know, gosh, I mean, unfortunately, this is uh, one of those U.S. teams that I think kind of fell prey to the conditions over, over across the pond. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the the team that they put up and not a lot of massive names that people would remember uh, that that kind of went on to a lot of professional success. Uh, and really on, on the U.S. team, the only two guys that really had uh, good records were uh, Bo Hostler and Bryson DeChambeau. But again, it's a massive honor to be selected and I, I'm guessing, if I remember, it was you and it was Maverick McNeely and John Rahm were really the top three guys of amateur golf that season. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I got I was stuck there on that number three spot on Wagger for forever, and it's it's funny, you know, I I didn't really get to know Rahm until kind of the very end of my college career with you know Palmer Cup and then getting a couple starts playing some practice rounds with him out there, but um, I I did know Maverick. So I couldn't really, I don't know. I don't know what the word is because it's, it's certainly not hate. I just really, really wanted to get ahead of John Rahm because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him. Um, I knew he was a great player and every time that I would win, he would win and I'd get, you know, that much further away from catching him. Um, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm playing with him at Palmer cup and getting to beat him there. And, um, uh, but through that process, just getting to know him, he's a great guy. And I spent two years of my life thinking, man, I've got to beat this John Rom guy and kind of using it as, as motivation. And, and, um, at the end of it, I'm like, man, I've, I've spent all this time with all this, all this emotion towards this, towards this really nice guy. Yeah. You're like, uh, I, I, it would have been so much easier if you actually ended up hating him. You're like, Oh damn it. I met him. He's good. Right. He's a good dude. Right, that's just the nature of competition. You yeah. know, you, you you form some feelings for that guy that 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 keeps beating you. Um, and you obviously, I couldn't form any of that towards Maverick because he's the nicest guy on the planet. Um, so that was he was Ron was kind of my target. Um, I remember watching him hit balls. <laughs> we go right back to Vegas uh, at Southern Highlands, watching him hit balls on the range for the first time, and I knew immediately that I had a problem <laughs> on my hands. <laughs> I, I really did. I stood there for about 10 minutes on the putting green, you know, far enough away where he couldn't see right. me, but just watching him hit balls, and I'm like, oh, man, this this kid, he hits it hard, and he hits it real straight, and it's so simple, and oh, boy, I better get to work. Because he's, he's, I mean, still to this day, one of the best ball strikers I've ever played with. Maybe, maybe the best. Um, but um, yeah, that was it. Was a fun, That's fun couple of years That's chasing be a him. Terrible feeling. You're like, I, I don't have that. I, I don't. I, yeah, I knew it immediately. I, you know, as soon as he started hitting, you know, mid irons, just the height that he was that he was getting out of them, and you know, kind of the rise, and you could, I could tell he was hitting it a lot harder than I was. And you know, you you look at me and look at him, it's not hard to figure out why. But uh, yeah, I, I knew that I had a, a mountain to climb there. Um, and then it wasn't too long after that that I got to play him, play against him in the Palmer Cup. And uh, you our, must have been our, so amped up for that. You must have. Oh, been. I was begging. We had Hepler, uh, the coach for Georgia Tech, was was our captain, and I was begging to play Rom. Just begging, please, just please, 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 let me play him. And I did. I got to play him in singles. Got to play him in in, uh, in alternate shot. Um, 
and had a lot of fun. And, and like I said, at the end of the week, I'm like, man, he's really nice. You know, <laughs> who would have thought? Well, and I'm guessing too, you want to play him. I guess you want to beat him, obviously, but also it had just been so long of chasing it. You probably just, you really wanted to see where you stood. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're pretty spot on there. I, I was kind of, I was definitely judging myself against him and like, yeah. okay, if he's, if he's carrying it 15 or 20 past me off the tee, you know, what do I have to do to fill, to fill that gap? Where, where do I have to beat him to, to level that out? You know, how much better do I have to put it than him to, to be able to keep up? I was kind of looking at it as like, you know, using him as almost the PGA tour standard, um, going, all right, let's, let's see where my weaknesses are. Um, and there were, there were many, um, you know, there's just shots to this day that, that he had and has that I, I could never, I could never hit, um, you know, every, every player is, is different. And, you know, I found a way to, to do it, you know, that fit my body and, and fit the way I saw things. But, you know, we're all, we're all limited in some aspects. I think he was just a little less limited than I was. You have this great experience at Palmer cup and it's, it's on home soil at Rich Harvest Farms, but then Walker cup is over, uh, overseas. Was there a little more excitement about going to the UK uh, versus what you experienced, I guess, you know, at home? I mean, either way, it doesn't matter. It's a huge honor, but I don't know. I think maybe a road game would have been more uh, enticing. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say because I won on home soil and I lost over there. Yeah. So I can't, it's hard for me to say that I wish they would have both been over there. I could have lost both of them. Um, but playing against, uh, you know, playing it, Playing against GB and I over over in England was just you know having all being surrounded by all their fans yeah. was um, was it was a challenge for sure. Um, we definitely you know weren't being cheered for. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, when we made birdie putts, there wasn't a whole bunch of noise, and when they made them, that you could hear it all the way across the golf course. So it was it was a whole challenge that I had never experienced before, but. Um, you know, a memory that I'll never forget. I just, I, I'm, I'm still chapped about that week. I really am. You know, I, I put in so much effort to go over there and, and I was so hyped up. I mean, you know, like we've talked about before, it's, uh, it's, it's the pot of gold at the end of the road for, for amateur golf. It's, you know, it's just walk cups as good as it gets. And, um, you know, I tried to do everything that I could to be as ready as I could for going over there. And I, Honestly, looking back, I think I kind of overprepped. Yeah, um, I was just terrified of going over there and not hitting it well. Um, and at the end of the day, I went over there and I and I just didn't play that well. Um, not that you know I'm the reason that we lost or anything. I certainly didn't help a whole lot. But um, you know, when you look at it on paper, I mean, it, it shouldn't have been. You know, just given what people have done since then on both yeah. sides, it, it shouldn't have been close. We we had it we were so stacked on paper, you know, um, and, and we went over there and just got, you know, curb stomped essentially. (laughs) Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't close. It never was close. Um, and I, it was definitely a different type of golf. I think that most of us had never played before. Um, you know, so there was some, I think if we would have been there a little bit longer, it may have helped, you know, been there maybe a couple of weeks prior. Cause for most of us, that was our first time playing true links golf. Right. 
Um, and then going out there in your first match, you know, it's 40 degrees and blowing 25, 30 and, you know, watching, watching the guys on the other side, you know, stuff six irons from 110 yards. You're like, what, what, what game is this? Right. right. And, and, and where do I sign up? You know, I don't, it was, it was a different experience. Um, you know, just, and I love links golf looking back. I wish I would have had an opportunity to play more of it. Um, it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's more fun just seeing the ball move on the ground. I mean, you know, even with our, you know, style of courses here, golf is, seems to be for most people more fun when the ball's moving on the ground and not just hitting and plugging that just takes it to a whole a whole nother level of of thought that you have to go into and planning and and understanding where you can and can't go and it it you know i still think it fits you know what my style of play was um pretty well and you know i had it relatively low so i i felt like it was built for me um in a way and then i went over there and just didn't hit it well and i'm still i'm still chapped <laughs> well, I, I i really am you know it's something that's coming up you know next year walker cup returns to the uk it was just in, at seminole and and going back to uh, scotland next year for for uh, to the old course and you know you played on the 2015 team you didn't have the tough decision that some of the players are going to have next summer or I guess next next spring, you know, you you finished your junior season, had a great run, and it fed right into Walker Cup. You got a lot of players next year that, you know, they're going to have these great college seasons. Seasons, it's going to put them in line for for starts uh, through uh, PGA Tour U, and the college season is going to end on June first, and Walker Cup is basically September first. So there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be having to seriously look and say, okay, do I hold off on my professional start so I can make a run at the Walker cup? Or am I just going to, Hey, I'm, I'm in it. I want to, I want to give myself a chance to make on, to make this team. And if I do great, if I don't, well, then I guess I could start that, that pro job. Um, I mean, when you look back at it, even though, yes, you are chapped that you guys lost your chap that, that you didn't play your best. But still, it is it still the pinnacle of your amateur career? Oh, it is, and and that's that's why I'm chapped. It's because <laughs> gotcha. it, it's because it's as it's as good as it gets, and I you know it's still one of my fondest memories. Even though there are some, you know, some there's some things I wish would have gone differently. Um, it, it's still the greatest honor you can receive as an amateur golfer, and you know now that I'm getting into this coaching gig I'm my mind already goes back to okay at what point if I'm able to start playing again um you know at what point do I try to get my amateur status back and see if maybe maybe I can get on one of those teams you know just kind of really kind of future dream if if I had a dream in the future that would be high up on the list would be to make that team as a medium that would be so if that gives you any any indication as to as to how important it was to me um, you know, getting that phone call, you know, well, and, and, from, and from by Spider the way, Miller. Well, Spider like, Miller was the 100th guest on the back of the range. And I get asked all the time, what's your favorite episode? And I, I, I can't answer that question because there's so many great ones. Uh, you know, basically everyone's tied for a second. This now is my favorite episode, Lee. So, um, but sure. okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, but seriously, uh, talking to him and meeting him and spending time with him, uh, he's a legend. He is such a good dude. Uh, and I still talk to him. I talked to him two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, just one of the greatest people I've ever met. 
uh, getting to know him at, at the practice session. And, you know, obviously before I was picked, you know, we were all hitting him up occasionally going, hey, how's the picks looking? What's going on? You know, how am I looking? What do I need to do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, it, just looking back, I mean, with when you compare it to, yeah, I mean, winning an SEC championship here was was awesome and doing that, you know, helping the guys on the team get a ring is something that's hard to replace. But if I had to pick one thing that, that I wouldn't replace, even though we lost, right, the Walker, the Walker Cup is still as good as it gets. And, and I would encourage, you know, I'm biased having played one, but I, I would encourage those guys that have to make that decision to, to go play in it if they have the opportunity. You know, pro golf isn't, isn't going anywhere. If, if you're that good, you're going to end up out there anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you just, this is a small window of opportunity that, you know, you have to work really hard to be able to have a chance to play a Walker cup and turning it down to something that I have a hard time even wrapping my mind around. Um, you know, I, I still have my Walker cup bag, you know, sitting right next to my computer in my office at home. Like go. that's, that's, you know, you it's, are not, it's, you are not the first Walker cover to be on this podcast that has said that exact same thing. Uh, I think when I had Jason Gore on the podcast, he was on the 97 team. He's like, yeah, I'm in my office right now. I'm staring at the bag. And I think he went as far as to tell me that everything is still intact in there, including the, uh, gosh, I think top flight stratas. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, oh, wow. I was like, man, that bag must smell like shit. He's like, oh, there's all sorts of stuff in there. I'm like, all right, well. But, yeah, uh, not uncommon. Every every Walker Cupper I've spoken to, they they have it all. They, I mean, they have everything. Yeah. No, it's, it's just it's just irreplaceable. It's it's it really feels like playing in a Ryder Cup. And I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that because I haven't played. It's my podcast. Cup. You can say whatever you want to. <laughs> but like, that's the feeling that you get, you know, showing up and just getting, you know, showered in all this USA gear and, and, you know, really feeling like you're representing the country. It's, you know, the Palmer cup is really cool. And, you know, it, I enjoyed that immensely, but the feeling that you get from playing in a Walker cup is, is second to none. I, I haven't experienced anything like it, you know, contending on, you know, I, I was able to get in contention once on the tour and, and it didn't, it didn't compare to playing on that. And Walker that was cup your, team. and that was your hometown tournament. The tournament you're talking about, you were, um, I mean, final group, I think it was, you shot 66, 69 on the weekend at the Valspar in 2016. And you're paired with, with Spieth on the last day and everyone knows you. I mean, I mean, of all the places where you're going to feel the, the dream scenario, this is it. I mean, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, being chasing it down the stretch in Vegas, which we're not going to talk about. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad you, you referenced that because that I'm guessing for your professional career, which I know was short and was, was cut short due to injury. Basically that had to have been pretty much one of the highlights of your professional career. Yeah, that was definitely. And you weren't even a professional. Yeah, that was. You know, you hit you hit the nail on the head. The Walker Cup in that week are are definitely my my top two weeks. You know, playing golf. Um, just, I mean, Sunday was really cool, and and a lot of credit to Jordan Spieth for accidentally getting paired with me. You know, I, I wouldn't have had near the crowd out there that we did if he wasn't playing. And you know, back then. He was, you know, he was the golden boy, just won the Masters and was world number one. And, 
and uh, you know all the hype. Everything was about Jordan Spieth back then. And you whipped um, his ass. Oh, and <laughs> and I snuck by him. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but it was that was such a cool experience Sunday. But I think honestly. You know, the, the feeling that I remember more than anything, Sunday's almost kind of a blur. As, you know, you can imagine the nerves and not playing in front of 20,000 people before. It was it was pretty trippy. But um, but I like you said, I grew up on that golf course and teeing off on Thursday morning um, in that tournament that I'd been, you know, I used to ride my bicycle from my house and try to find somewhere to sneak in. Um and uh and watch a few holes like i i grew up watching that tournament and standing on that tee on thursday having a tee time with my name on it was that was that was really special i don't know if anything could replicate that um but like that just seeing that tournament on that golf course was my whole outside of watching it on tv was was my whole you know view of golf that was that was where i got to see the best players do it it was the only time i ever got to see growing up you know tour players actually hit the golf ball and hear what that sounds like and see what that looks like um and i'd be lying if i said i i believed completely when i was 13 or 14 that i was going to be teeing it up there one day like it was definitely a dream but um you know i i wasn't convinced that i was ever going to be able to to have the, the opportunity to, to do that. Um, and there was a lot of work that went into that and a lot of begging, a lot of begging. I, I begged for three straight years to get a sponsor exemption into that tournament. Oh man. Every time I went back home to Tampa, I would just go pop into the tournament director's office and sit down. Um, you know, Tracy West was such a sweetheart, um, and is still running that tournament. And, you know, she would tell me, listen, you know, you're, you're getting there. You've had a good year and, and keep working and we'll get you in here. And I, that just spurred me on. I think it was the best thing that she could have done for me telling me no the first couple of times, yeah. just, you know, go back to college, you know, make a Walker cup team, you know, go win a few more tournaments and, and we'll get you in. And I finally was able to go back and say, all right, I played the Walker cup. That had to been awesome. Got, just going back there in 2016, like, okay, I did what you told me. Uh, and here I am. It was, it was, it was a fun conversation and, and just getting to hear, you know, hear her say you we that you've got a spot was was oh. that was a surreal moment. It really was. Um, you can imagine how nervous I was going into that tournament. Oh my goodness! And all <laughs> all the you know all the friends and family that came to watch and it's just a pressure unlike anything other than you know Walker Cup is was a different kind of pressure for sure. You feel like you're playing for you know king and country, and it's a whole whole different vibe but um you're almost feeling like you know okay this is the culmination of your your parents efforts and your friends efforts and your coaches efforts and this is your this is your chance to do it on home soil you know what are you going to do with it are you going to go shoot 82 and miss the cut by 15 like you know i could have done could have done anything with that so it was it was terrifying and so much fun all at the same time and and you know i so grateful to them for giving me that opportunity. So let me ask you a question here. Um, you know, you you finish your college career in 2016 and then immediately get some PGA Tour exemptions to start your pro career. Didn't have the, the best of luck in those starts and then had to go back to Q school. And then we run into the the time when you um, you, you get into a, a single car accident and, and fracture your wrist in two places and that kind of takes you down a road of trying to get back and 
which you do, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing at some point the, the injury that you sustained really kind of derailed your pro career. But the thing I want to ask you is you're seeing these college kids now try to get their career started on the professional ranks. And if you had to, if you were able to go back, I mean, obviously you're, if they give you exemptions, you take them, but if you had to go back knowing now what, what you went through and, and really thinking about it, what do you think would be the ideal way for a college player to start their professional career? Is it immediately jump to getting exemptions? Would it be maybe a mandatory year on a developmental tour to learn how to travel? I mean, if you could go and pick the ideal way for you to start a pro career based on what would pay off longevity-wise, what would you think would be the best way to start your career? You know, I think if if you're in a position where you can get, you know, your seven starts, um, you can't turn that down. You right. got you got to go do that. But I think I made a mistake, and this is something I can definitely preach on. Um, I, I made a huge mistake uh, mentally going into those starts of, you know, kind of thinking too much about what I needed to do. Right. Uh, you know, and trying to make the most out of them. You know, where if one of these guys, you know, on this team at Georgia were you know, about to get seven starts, I would strongly encourage them to look at it as nothing more than a learning experience. Um, you know, if, if things go well and, and you're in the top 10 on Sunday and you have an opportunity to do something and, you know, get some status, that's, that's awesome, you know, but, but that kind of thing, especially, you know, your first couple of times out there, that's not something you can force and you, you can't will that into happening. There's, there's no amount of want that's going to put you in the top 10 when you're out there. Um, I, I focused, like I said, I focused way too much on the result. I focused too much on, you know, where I needed to finish to get X amount of points or back then it was, you know, money lists. Um, I, if I had, if I had it over again, I would go into it as, you know, nothing more than just a learning experience going out there playing, you know, obviously you play your best, but you just go out there and enjoy learn and observe and try to get used to that feeling because odds are you're, you're not gonna, you know, stay out there after those seven starts, you're going to have to go somewhere else and take another path and work your way back up. It's pretty rare as everybody knows to, to, you know, get through that way and stay out there. Um, but going out there trying to force the issue, um, was definitely a mistake that I made. Wish I had that one over. Um, you know, just from things that I've seen, it's almost like if I was in that position, I don't know if I'd make the same decision, but I would be like, I would just want one year status somewhere. And yes, I'm probably not going to make the money I could make if I was on the PGA tour, but if I had a guaranteed one year of status or two years of st- or something, I would learn how to be a professional, learn how to travel, learn how to, uh, again, not fall into those uh, those pitfalls of, oh, my God, I got to do this, this, and this at this tournament because it's going to set up the next 12 months of my life. Correct. I mean, there's there's a lot to learn, you know, making that transition, understanding what to do with a day that, you know, if you tee off at 730 and you're done at noon you don't go till one o'clock the next day. What, what are you doing when you don't have all your teammates, you know, with you going to see a movie or whatever, like, you know, sure. You know, there's ways to do it where you stay with a caddy, you stay with 
you know, your wife or your girlfriend or however you want to do it. Or but, both. Um, I'm kidding. Or... <laughs> that's oh, great. Um, no, it's, it's just, you, there's a certain learning curve that's just kind of unavoidable. You know, you can't, you don't, you don't know how to travel by yourself or travel as a professional golfer until you do it for a while. Like it, it just, it just takes some time. So to, to expect yourself to be fully comfortable out there the first time out there, you know, your first time staying in a hotel, you know, completely by yourself where you're, you know, you're not waking up with, with a teammate in the bed across the room. Like right. you know, it, it's just, it's just different. Um, and that's why I say, I would just, you just have to look at it as a learning experience because it's all new when you transition from, from college to, to professional golf. There's, there, there are very few similarities in, in the day-to-day and how things work. You know, it is totally up to you when you get to the golf course. It's totally up to you when you leave the golf course. It's totally up to you where you stay, where you eat, you know, what you do in your free time. It's, it's all up to you. You can do it however you want to do it. And, you know, finding out how to, you know, manage your whole day and which little things work for you and which little things don't and talking to other players about, you know, how they do things. It's, it's just so much to cover, you know, that if you do have those seven starts, if you look at it as a learning experience and a learning opportunity, it can be a great one. But yeah. if, if you look at it as just let's go see what results I get and that's how I'm going to judge myself, you know, as a pass or fail, essentially like that, it's just going to lead you to disappointment and you're not going to pick up as much information as, as you probably could looking at it as a learning experience. Well, you have all this knowledge that you're passing on to your now student, you know, I guess, well, what's the official title student volunteer coach or student coach student. I'm a student assistant coach. All right. So you are AKA unpaid help, unpaid help. Okay. So, so you're a student assistant coach now uh, for your alma mater and your you know roles have reversed you're you're not a player on the team you're you're in the the coaches meetings with hacker and with douglas and um you know what i find so interesting about those two guys i see them a lot at college tournaments and you know i i see a lot of coaches obviously just traveling around the country whether it's sec big 12 acc you know i, I see them all and you know this might be a broad generalization but you know, I see other coaches walking with players more than than Hacker and Douglas do. When I see them, they're a lot of the times they're in a golf cart together, and mm-hmm. I see coaches that seem to be more involved in in shots. And I'm not saying that they're right and and Hacker and Douglas are wrong or vice versa, but I, I and in fact, I always shake my head when I see an assistant coach run over to coach a player up on like a 112 yard wedge shot, and I'm just like, I don't I don't understand that. Um, but their approach seems a little bit more hands-off. Can you talk about maybe what you've learned thus far, just learning, I guess, learning the coaching business, so to speak, from them? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I support a lot of the of the things that, you know, Hacker and Doug do, and, and I love the way that, that they do just about everything. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm going to, you know, I would model my coaching style after them, but I – I do think that in order for somebody to find, you know, the level of confidence that you need, I think the work has to be done yourself and you can't feel like, you know, somebody is essentially holding your hand the whole time. Yeah. Um, you got to make your own mistakes. You got to practice how you want to practice. Um, and 
you know, golf is in college, it's a team sport. Yes. But everybody's hitting their own ball. Um, you know, I'm not going to be there. Hacker's not going to be there for you when you leave. Um, and I just, I really think that you have to figure out a lot of stuff on your own, make your own mistakes and, and, you know, draw your own conclusions. Um, you know, it's like when these guys out here are asking me for help with their swing and stuff, I, I don't really say much because I'm not trying to mess up anybody's golf swing, even though I may have my opinions. Um, you know, the best, the best stuff that you're going to learn is the stuff that you find yourself, not the, not the stuff that somebody tells you. You know, I could, I could sit here all day and preach to these guys about what they're going to experience when they turn pro. But at the end of the day, it's going to sink in more when it actually happens to you and you get to feel what it all feels like. I, yeah. You know, it's, you, you have to, you have to live your own life. Um, because when you do get out of college, ain't nobody going to be holding your hand. Um, you know, other than, other than your caddy and, and he's working for you. So that's, that's a whole, that's a whole different dynamic. But, um, I, I do think that some coaches overcoach. I think some coaches it's during tournaments. I mean, um, you know, I think they're a little bit too involved sometimes in the fact that, you know, if a coach is standing on 160 yard par three with a pin in the middle of the green and, and no wind, like, well, yeah. what are you what do you what are you telling him like he, he either knows how to hit it 160 yards or he doesn't <laughs> yeah i see it. That's, yeah that's basically what i'm getting at i see a lot of that stuff and i'm just like i i, I don't know yeah no you that's there's some things that i don't i can't even really pinpoint anything of like you know i i'm gonna be there when this happens on this hole in this situation um you know i i've I like to think that, you know, I, well, I'll take that back. I had Doug walk with me a pretty good bit when I was in college. Um, but that was more from a standpoint of, you know, me managing my expectations and just wanting somebody to talk to out there. We didn't hardly ever talk about golf shots or what, you know, I would, if, if we did talk about what shot I was hitting, I was essentially just talking out loud. You know, Doug never talked me out of a club or, you know, talk me into a club or anything like that. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in guys making their own mistakes and, and forging their own path, digging it out of the dirt themselves. And, and, you know, I think that's where, that's where confidence comes from. You know, you, you can pick up some great information from knowledgeable people, but an experience is, is always going to be longer lasting in my mind. Um, you know, going, going through challenges is, is what makes you stronger and, you know, having bad tournaments is, you know, is how you know what you need to work on. Um, you don't necessarily need, I, I'm not going to be, if I'm coaching, I'm not going to be setting up, you know, mandatory, here's what we're, we're going to do this putt and drill, and then we're going to do this chip and drill, and then we're going to go run the, you know, the gauntlet on, on track man and, and hit all these numbers. And we're going to do this and this, you know, you go do what you need to go do. Um, on the flip side, that structure doesn't work unless you have kids that have drive, yeah. you know, um, where, you know, if you're somebody that, that doesn't, get out of bed and immediately want to go see if you can get better today. Um, maybe you're somebody that does need, uh, a little bit more structure, um, you know, a, a little bit more, you know, teaching how to practice and, 
and things like that. But, um, and as I've been, you know, helping coach this year and stuff, I've been learning more about what I would, if I was the head coach and I was out recruiting, what I would be looking for and, and, uh, and drive is very high on that list for sure. I'm guessing you can coach how to maybe practice. You can coach course management. You can coach things like that, but you don't want to bother with a kid that just doesn't want it. Especially someone like someone like you that just, you know, completely just worked their butt off so hard. I, I've yet to find a way to make somebody want something. If you figure it out, let me know. Okay. Like, but if you, if you don't, but like a kid that doesn't, you know, dream about being on the PGA tour and is just here to try to make the lineup. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to instill yet and I'm, I'm looking for answers, but I don't know how to instill, you know, that, that desire and that, that fire in somebody that, you know, that feeling of nobody's going to stop me and I'm, I'm going to get there and I'm going to give this everything I have. Um, if you're more concerned with, you know, um, you know, where you're going to go eat tonight with, with your girl and, and all that stuff. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road because this stuff doesn't, I don't know. I just am not a believer in greatness falling into your lap. You know, you're not just going to wake up one day and be unbelievable. There's a, there's a long process that, that, you know, that it takes and you have to learn a ton about yourself, you know, that's basically what golf is, is learning yourself and, and learning what you can do and what it feels like to do it, and what you can't do, all that sort of thing. So, and you, you just, you need desire to be able to go through all of those, all of those steps and, and figure yourself out and figure your swing out and figure your putting stroke out. Like that's, that's not something, those are all things that you have to do for yourself. You know, you can go, you know, obviously you're going to get help from your swing coach. You're going to get help from your mental, you know, your sports psychologist or your putting coach or, or whatever. But to me, the things that really stick are, you know, the feelings that, okay, when I was putting really well out at this tournament, I was feeling this and I know that I had myself set up here and this foot was here instead of here. Like, you know, it's, it's the little things that you find on the journey that are lasting. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. You have to, they have to have the drive. They have to have it. If they don't, yeah. then if you, I mean, it's too hard to fight, a, fight that hill. Fight a, yeah. that's, that's a tough battle. And it ends up, I would assume I, I don't have years of coaching to back up this statement, but I would assume it's, it's, you know, a lot of wasted effort trying to instill yeah. desire in somebody that doesn't want to be there. If you're going to be just as happy being, you know, an insurance salesman, then that's, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I just want you to be happy, but yeah. I, I want, I want the kids playing on my team that um, are convinced that happiness lies in a career in professional golf and they're not going to be stopped. You want a kid that's going to snap a wedge in Las Vegas. I'm not going to be as mad as some other coaches about it. <laughs> what, what, what has been something that you've learned before, before I get you out of here? What has been something that maybe you've learned about yourself now that you've become a coach? And obviously this is the career path you're looking to, uh, to go down. What is maybe what's something you've learned about yourself now that you're on this side of it? I think. I, I've been thinking a lot about the balance of, you know, like we've just been talking about having that desire um, 
and, and that fire to want to go get better every day. Um, I think it can be taken too far. I think there were, there were times, not all the time. I think I had it balanced out pretty good at some points in my career, but, um, there were others where, you know, stuff got neglected that shouldn't have been, whether it be, you know, family or schoolwork or, or whatever. Um, there was, there were some points in my career where I didn't have the balance right. Um, and I was a little bit too obsessive and that led to expectations that were just too high. So like, you know, as a player, you feel like you should get out what you put in. And if you put in so much that you know you've outworked everybody else and you've done as much as you possibly could, then, you know, anything less than winning feels like losing, right? Um, And you have to be able to accept losses in golf. You have to be able to accept bad days and, you know, throwing away leads and whatever the case may be, bad things are going to happen on the golf course just because you practice more than everybody else doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be better than everybody else at every tournament. Um, so I, I think I, I didn't learn until, you know, the last couple, three years of playing that um, the best golf that I that I was playing was the golf that, that I had no expectations for. Um, you know, whether it be weeks where I just wasn't hitting it well coming in. So I didn't think, I didn't think to, you know, expect much. I was, you know, I, I remember one week at, at, uh, the Linger Longer in Georgia, I just was hitting it terrible coming in. Um, this is my sophomore year, I think. And, uh, I, I was just hitting it all over the place and I decided on the range, that morning, I'm like, you know, right before we teed off, I'm like, you know what? This is a lost cause. I, I don't know what's going to happen this week. So I'm just going to try to hit fades, you know, forget it. Like, and my whole college career and junior career, I'd hit pretty much nothing but draws. But I decided that day, I'm like, you know what? I'm hitting it so bad. I'm just, I'm just going to commit to a fade today, and we're going to see what we get. And I think I ended up finishing like third or fourth that week, just hitting nothing but fades. Um and with no expectations, I didn't, I hadn't really charted out how far all my fades went and, you know, didn't have a great understanding of my yardages because I had been hitting so many draws. So I was kind of just doing it on the fly, but again, with no expectations, um, you know, if, if I had spent a couple weeks prior, you know, grinding out all those numbers and making sure I had everything as polished as I could have it, I would go in with higher expectations. And as soon as I made a bogey, you know, I, I would be upset with myself because I, I worked too hard to, to make bogey on, on this hole or whatever, you know, you, you, you'll always find those little things when you have high expectations to beat yourself up over. Um, so finding that balance of, you know what, I've done everything I can. I'm ready. And whatever golf wants to give me this week is what I'm going to take. You know, there's no, there's no return policy on a golf round. Like you're going to get, you're going to get what you get. There's, there's no time machine. There's nothing like that. So just going, trying to go into a tournament with, um, with no expectations would be the biggest thing I, I would look back and wish I would have done more. Well, Sherm, see, see what I do. I, I, I start at the end. No, I'm kidding. So, well, Lee, I, I'm really glad that um, 
Gosh, there's so many things about this episode that I love. I I, I love. Uh, I, I am chiefly in in your uh, cheering section for you to make it to another Walker Cup team as a mid am. I think that's the coolest thing, selfishly, that I've heard out of you in this entire episode. But I, I love that you've kind of gone full circle. You know, a star in the amateur game, star in college golf, went the pro route, and now you're going back to college, so to speak, to to kind of give back and and help grow your alma mater as they chase for a national championship. Um, I will, and you know, we were so good. We didn't talk about any of the guys on your, on this team right now. We didn't, we didn't make fun of Nick Cassidy at all. We didn't talk about Buck. Didn't make fun of Ford. I mean, how I, I have been very well behaved during this episode. You have, and you're throwing it all away. Oh, shit. Well, um, well, we will have plenty of time to reconnect in the spring. Um, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Go enjoy uh, the rest of the fall and the holiday season. And, uh, yeah, I will see you in the spring, and I, I'm glad you stopped by the back of the range. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to seeing you again out there. And there you have it. Special thanks to Lee McCoy for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode and all of the merch is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.